0: Hakai Magazine explores science, society, and the environment from a coastal perspective. Today's feature article is How the Shipping Industry Sails Through Legal Loopholes A murky world of shell companies, flags of convenience, and end-of-life flags allows companies to dodge accountability and dispose of ships cheaply. Written by Paul Tullis and narrated by Adam Dubow On December 16, 2018, the container ship Cecily left Mauritius for Dubai. Sailing from the tiny island nation in the Indian Ocean to the United Arab Emirates was a shift from the typical route it had traveled for 20 years while shuttling goods. The Sicily wasn't particularly big for its era, and it withers in comparison to today's largest ships, but it could still carry more than 11,000 tons of cargo, equivalent to roughly 7,500 haunted accords in thousands of metal containers, each as large as a one-bedroom apartment. The ever-expanding carrying capacity of ships offered the Cecily's owner, AP Möller Maersk AS of Denmark, economies of scale not possible with earlier ship designs. Three other Maersk ships of the same vintage, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Klaes, were about as large as the Cecily. All four had spent more than two decades plying the waters off Europe and the west coast of Africa, rarely calling at other ports after 2004. A week after the Cicillide traveled to Dubai, the Thomas arrived there from a Spanish port. The Clara left Spain for Dubai next, followed by the Clace. Shortly after those voyages, Maersk sold all four ships. Three went to companies known for scrapping ships on beaches in South Asia. The Clays went to a company with two employees headquartered at an address in the Caribbean associated with shell companies, which companies that buy ships for scrapping are known to use. The movements and transactions are notable, particularly the three ships' voyages from Spain, because the European Union has a regulation that bars hazardous waste from leaving its ports for countries that are not members of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD. Since ships contain toxic material, they qualify as hazardous waste under the European Union's Waste Shipment Regulation. Countries in the OECD, an intergovernmental group of 38 member countries around the world, generally have stronger environmental and labor standards than non-members. But like hundreds of ships each year, the Cecily, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Clays ended up in India, a non-OECD country, on a beach where workers dismantled them in dangerous conditions and with little regard for the hazardous materials they contained— cadmium, lead, asbestos, mercury, hydrocarbons from the burning of fuel, and residue oils. Hundreds of workers have died in shipbreaking yards in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh in recent years. Taking the Sicily, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Claes to Dubai— where only one of those ships had ever called and only once raises questions. If Maersk decided to sell the ships once they were in Dubai, Spain could not enforce the waste shipment regulation. Why did Maersk bring the ships to Dubai? asked Ingold Jensen, a executive director of NGO Shipbreaking Platform, a Belgium based nonprofit that monitors the disposal of ships worldwide and advocates for sustainable ship recycling. It's a question that vexes Jensen. If a shipping company decides to dispose of a ship before it leaves the European Union, that would make the export a breach of the Waste Shipment Regulation. The unusual destination wasn't the only change in the ship's operations that alarmed Jensen. On December 31, 2018, a new law took effect in the European Union, the Ship Recycling Regulation. It requires companies to scrap European Union-registered ships in European Union-approved facilities that maintain environmentally sound operations and ensure worker safety. Less than six months before the ship recycling regulation took effect, Maersk re-registered the Danish ships in Hong Kong. The last voyages of the Cecily, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Clais, each with a new owner and re-registered yet again, were to a shipbreaking yard in Alang India where there are no European Union approved facilities by requiring European Union registered ships to be dismantled safely in a European Union approved facility the ship recycling regulation is meant to bolster the older and ineffectual waste shipment regulation but if a company registers a ship outside the European Union just prior to dismantling a process that's cheap and easy it can evade the ship recycling regulation Repeated requests for comment to Maersk Senior Press Officer Christian Kiergaard-Vinter went unanswered. The cases of the four Maersk ships are emblematic of a dark side of the globalized economy and the international shipping industry. Every day, nearly 100,000 container ships, oil and chemical tankers, vehicle carriers, and other vessels sail the oceans carrying the products we buy, the raw materials that go into manufacturing those products, and the fuels that power it all. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development reports that 90% of all goods are transported by ship. The ships themselves emit more than 1 million tons of carbon dioxide per day, more than twice that of the entire United Kingdom. Once they've reached the end of their useful lives, more than 70% of all ships of all types, which includes not only cargo carriers and tankers, but drilling platforms, cruise ships, tugs, and more— End up in shipbreaking yards in India, Pakistan, or Bangladesh, according to analysis by NGO Shipbreaking Platform. The ships that end up there tend to be among the bigger ones. They represent 90% of the discarded gross tonnage. In 2021, the share of broken ships and offshore units heading to the three countries was 76%, representing close to the entire volume of gross tonnage scrapped worldwide. The yards are not European Union approved for safe dismantling under their ship recycling regulation. At least two yards, both in Alang, have applied for European Union approval but were rejected. Dodging regulations is possible because of the dramatic rise in the use of flags of convenience. Ships must be registered in a country. Flags of convenience are countries that allow ship owners to pay a fee to register with a country that fails to police international maritime law or regulations. Once sold in Dubai, the new owners reflag the four former Maersk ships to Flags of Convenience nations for that last voyage to Alang. Welcome to the murky world of shipping. The Rise of Flags of Convenience Until the Ever Given ran aground in the Suez Canal last spring, and supply chain disruptions related to the COVID-19 pandemic and other factors brought the shipping world into the headlines, the industry had been content to maintain a low profile. Though the world has suddenly woken up to shipping's role as the most critical part of the globalized economy, its enormous effect on global trade and world affairs goes back thousands of years. Phoenician and Roman ships carried olive oil, wine, and timber for trade around the Mediterranean. In the early 1400s, Ming Dynasty Admiral Cheng Hu commanded seven voyages on ships more than four times the length of Columbus's, from China through the Indian Ocean and the Western Pacific, reaching as far as southern Africa's Cape of Good Hope and trading silks and porcelain for goods from across the known world. The Dutch designed a ship in the 1400s that could withstand treacherous deep waters, allowing them to fish farther from their own shores and bring the catch to market before it spoiled. The additional revenue juiced the economy and turned a swampy backwater into a global power, buttressed by slave labor, that would defeat the powerful empires of England and Spain in major naval battles in the 1600s. Galleons moved commodities and enslaved people from Asia and Africa to Europe and the Americas well into the late 1800s. It was the first wave of globalization. Flags of Convenience made their first appearance in 1915 when a new U.S. law limited working hours and guaranteed wages for seafarers on U.S. ships. Within a few years, Panama and Honduras began offering Flags of Convenience— which helped shipping companies keep down costs by skirting the new U.S. law. Flags of convenience accelerated after the Second World War, during what's considered the second wave of globalization, as new industry-led organizations with access to more capital and new transportation technologies allowed for the rapid and cheap movement of goods. Competition became fierce, and flags of convenient states charged into the fray, offering cut-rate registration fees and low taxes. Lax labour laws and less stringent inspection regimes added to the savings. Fewer inspections mean fewer repairs, and hence lower operational costs, almost three times lower. With all this ballast to their bottom line, owners can charge less for freight. The savings, of course are passed on to everyone who purchases goods that arrive on their shores by ship. Guillaume Viemi, an associate professor of finance at the business school HEC Paris, analyzed decades of data for a study about flags of convenience published in 2020. He found that owners are more likely to switch to a flag of convenience when the rates that shippers can charge for freight are low, reducing revenue, an indication that cost-cutting is indeed a principal incentive. Shipping companies that don't flag out can lose customers to competitors that can offer a lower price. In the past four decades, flags of convenience have exploded. In his study, VMA found that in 1980, 20% of the global tonnage of container ships, vessels like the Cecily, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Clays, flew flags of convenience. By 2019, the figure was 82%. By lowering taxes and fees, flags of convenience states have spurred governments in Europe to reduce their own taxes on the industry. The amount of revenue flags of convenience nations are deriving from their open registries is not easy to come by. The most recent national budget published online by Antigua and Barbuda, a small Caribbean nation that offers a flag of convenience, does not list any revenue from its shipping registry. Is one to infer that it is included under the heading Foreign Affairs, International Trade, and Immigration. In that case, it would be less than 1% of funds the country is bringing in. For comparison's sake, OECD nations receive almost 10% of revenue on average from corporate taxes. Palau, with annual revenue of around $86 million U.S. dollars, brought in under $1 million from its shipping registry in 2018, with the anticipation of more as it renegotiated its deal with the contractor that operates the registry. Perhaps all Flags of Convenience states are just getting fleeced by the firms to which they have outsourced their registries. While the rewards to Flags of Convenience states may not be high, the cost to the environment can be. Vessels operating under Flags of Convenience have caused major oil spills, including the worst oil spill ever in U.S. waters, which was caused by the Deepwater Horizon. Oil platforms, too, must be registered as seagoing vessels, and the U.S. government found that the doomed vessel's flag state, the Republic of the Marshall Islands, had failed to properly inspect the platform prior to the spill and the subsequent explosion. Eleven workers were killed. The 1958 Convention on the High Seas and the 1982 United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea require flag states to maintain a genuine link with a ship's owner. Though neither convention defined the term, legal scholars have stated that the best way to demonstrate a genuine link is for a flag country to be able to enforce relevant standards on ships in its registry. In any case, the conventions are seldom enforced— and a 1986 agreement intended to clarify matters never went into effect for lack of ratification by a sufficient number of member states. The genuine link is not the only legal fiction that the shipping industry employs to evade responsibility for the liabilities they float in the commons, including through virtually all marine protected areas, in the form of their hulking, floating barges of toxicants, and often toxic cargo such as crude oil the expanding use of flags of convenience is part of a larger pattern of evasion of responsibility by the shipping industry. In recent decades, VMA found, shipping firms have increasingly formed subsidiaries consisting of a single ship, shell companies, to disassociate their assets from the potential liabilities the ships represent. The trend began after a blowout of an oil well in 1969 off the coast of Santa Barbara, California, horrified Americans. Previously, the oil industry's negative effect on the environment had been largely confined to faraway and remote places, but the spill from Union Oil's Platform A sent 19 million liters of oil to the beaches and harbor of a U.S. city, one of the jewels of California. The disaster galvanized the modern environmental movement, and regulators and advocacy organizations began searching for ways to make shipping companies liable for damage they caused to natural resources. In March 1978, a tanker ran aground off the coast of France, and a U.S. judge ordered Amoco, now part of British Petroleum, the oil company that owned the ship, to pay more than $85 million, or over $364 million in today's dollars. Then, in 1989, the Exxon Valdez, a 300-metre-long oil tanker with a radar system the company knew was broken and hadn't bothered to fix, ran aground in Alaska's Prince William Sound. It remains the second-largest oil spill in U.S. waters after the Deepwater Horizon. Exxon paid fines, damages, and interest of nearly $1 billion. The U.S. Oil Pollution Act of 1990 then put the party responsible for any spill on the hook for cleanup and restoration costs. To avoid paying for their misdeeds, shippers could disassociate their assets from their ships— By making a ship its own separate company, damaged parties could only go after an amount equal to the value of the ship and its cargo. If the ship caused damage, such as by running aground and spilling its cargo, that amount would be small. Today, about 90% of merchant ships are subsidiary companies with no assets except the ship. Suing for a catastrophe would be like trying to dredge the Mariana Trench. Bigger, older, and single-hull ships, which are arguably more likely to cause the most damage in the event of an accident, are more likely to be owned by single-ship shells, VME found, suggesting that evasion of liability is the impetus for creating subsidiaries. The subsidiary is referred to as the registered owner. This severs the assets of the ultimate owner or beneficial owner since it's the entity that benefits from the business activity of the registered owner of the ship from harm caused by the ship. A 2003 Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development report found that it's both cheap and easy to create a complicated screen of corporate entities to shield the beneficial owner. So cheap and easy, in fact, that a typical ship spends none of its life registered with the beneficial owner. All these cost-cutting measures are paying off. London's Drury Shipping Consultants Limited predicts profits nearing $100 billion in 2021, with freight rates jumping 50% as shipping capacity lags behind increasing demand. Construction of new ships to replace scrapped old ships, like the Cecily, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Clays, is not keeping up. The stock price of Taiwan-based Evergreen Marine, owner of the ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal, is up 1,361% since 2020. The company ordered 24 new container vessels in 2021. A Bangladeshi worker died in 2019 during the dismantling of a ship Evergreen Marine had owned. The company disavowed responsibility, claiming the buyer had assured Evergreen the ship would be scrapped in a facility that met certain standards. Maersk stock rose 62% as shippers planned for record high levels of traffic last year, In September, it raised its profit forecast for 2021 by about 25%. The industry's high profits are at least in part because they don't have to pay for their mistakes. The companies have transferred the risk of their inherently risky operations onto society. Island Nations Enabling Ocean Pollution Enabling these practices, ironically, are several island nations whose livelihoods and very existence rely upon the continued health of their surrounding oceans. Comoros, off East Africa, St. Kitts and Nevis, a Caribbean nation, and Palau, in the South Pacific, have been the dominant flags of convenience in recent years. To drum up business, flags of convenience states offer further discounts and other incentives for short-term registration of ships a last voyage flag, on the way to the graveyard. It's another means the industry has developed to veil its practices, and it's increasingly popular. While last voyage flags were close to non-existent in the early 2000s, they represented 55.2% of all end-of-life ships globally in 2019, VMA writes in his study. For the last voyage, a ship's ultimate owner sells the vessel to a company that specializes in scrapping ships, which registers it to a flag of convenience and sails the ship to a beach in South Asia. This was precisely the scenario with the Cecily, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Clays. Palau is a useful example. It's one of the most popular last voyage flags. VMA found that in 2019, its registry held less than 0.001% of the world's fleet, but 59.5% of last voyage flags. Palau only began selling its flag in 2012, outsourcing the management, as many flags of convenience countries have done, to a Greek firm. In August, International Transport Workers' Federation added Palau to its list of registries designated as flags of convenience, bringing its total of flags of convenience to 42. Landiseng El kotaro chief of staff to the president of Palau, declined repeated requests for an interview the vessel and the damage done. Flagging ships for their final voyages to the scrapping yards of South Asia is a practice that ultimately causes significant harm in the communities where those scrapping yards are located. The companies that specialize in last voyages, such as NKD Maritime Limited of the United Kingdom, Ace Ship Recycling Private Limited of Singapore, Best Oasis Limited of Greece, and Global Marketing Systems of the United States, which claims to be the largest such company, are called cash buyers because they make their purchases in one lump sum. These companies, in turn, sell the ships to yards in Alang or Chattagram, Bangladesh, or Ghadani, Pakistan. The facilities lack the capacity to handle ship toxicants, which end up in the ocean. The communities gain jobs, but generally lack the health and other infrastructure to manage the dismantling risks. NGO Shipbreaking Platform has counted 429 deaths and 344 injuries in shipbreaking accidents since 2009, all at facilities not approved by the European Union. At least one worker died in a yard where Maersk's ships have been dismantled. Maersk says none of its ships were at the site at the time of the accident. Of all tonnage dismantled globally in 2019, 90% was in India, Pakistan, or Bangladesh. Last voyage flags flew on close to 64% of ships scrapped in 2018 and 55% in 2019, VMA found. Nearly all of them were broken in one of the three South Asian countries. Companies that buy ships for scrapping have been known to falsify documents. Bangladesh requires that owners of ships coming into the country for scrapping to file papers declaring their ships free of certain toxic materials prior to arrival. But a 2020 investigation by Bangladesh's Daily Star newspaper and Finance Uncovered, a journalism organization based in the United Kingdom, found 28 certificates that experts suspect were worthless. Out of the 28, 17 of the certificates were filed by shell companies. Since these companies exist only on paper, with no physical office or employees, It would be hard, especially for a country with few resources such as Bangladesh, to find a person or entity to prosecute for illegally filing such papers. Bangladesh's Supreme Court in 2019 noted a plethora of illegalities, omissions, deficiencies, and discrepancies pertaining to the importation of another former Maersk ship, the producer. The court determined that the importation constituted illegal trafficking of a toxic ship into Bangladesh. Jensen of NGO Shipbreaking Platform says it's extremely likely that every ship that enters Bangladesh for scrapping enters with a fake certificate. Cracking down on violators. In 2013, Maersk's head of sustainability, Jacob Sterling, wrote on G-Captain, an industry news website NGOs argue that beaching must end now. We agree. But three years later, Annette Stuba, described at the time of Maers Group's head of corporate social responsibility, told another trade journal, Shipping Watch, that if flying a European Union flag hinders our ability to use the yards in Alang, which we believe deliver a responsible shipbreaking service, then we will consider changing the flag. Maersk changed the flags of the Cecily, the Clara, the Thomas and the Clays in July 2018 and within a year sold each of the ships to cash buyers, which then scrapped them in South Asia. The Environmental Protection Agency of Denmark, where Maersk is based, investigated possible breaches of the toxic waste regulations and the ship recycling regulation. It found that because Maersk had re-flagged the four ships before the ship recycling regulation went into effect, it did not apply. The vessels were either outside the territorial waters of any country when the decommissioning decision was made and did not sail within the waters of the European Union slash OECD after the decision or were not in Danish territorial waters since before 2012, wrote the legal officer of the Circular Economy and Waste Division, Anya Freitag-White, in an email. Since three of the ships left the European Union from Spain, Denmark's Environmental Authority says it referred the case to that country. The press office of Spain's Environmental Authority says it never received any such referral, but that nevertheless it had no jurisdiction in the matter because the owner did not officially communicate that the ships were going to be scrapped. Ship owners based in the European Union account for one-third of the end-of-life tonnage beached in South Asia. Clearly, European Union countries bear some responsibility for solving the problems that the two European Union regulations have failed to fix. Sometimes the relevant authorities do act, often at the behest of watchdog groups like NGO Shipbreaking Platform. Jensen says she is constantly monitoring changes of ownership and flag registries for telltale signs of imminent dismantling. Who's the new owner? What's the flag? Who is crewing? What's the market outlook for the vessel? In 2014, the Global Spirit, a Japanese owned ship flagged to Panama that was in a Belgian port at the time, appeared to NGO Shipbreaking Platform to have been sold for scrapping. The organization alerted Belgian authorities. They forbade the Global Spirit from leaving Belgian waters until its owners agreed to recycle it in an approved facility. The International Chamber of Shipping, a trade organization, objected. The chamber argued that the waste shipment regulation was intended for toxic cargo, not the ships. Therefore, the regulation did not apply. Whether lawmakers intended it or not, the text of the law and the fact that ships contain toxic waste make this argument relevant at best. Belgium's ultimatum stood. Unfortunately, in most cases, we only know that there has been a legal export when it's too late, Jensen says. But there have been several instances when NGO Shipbreaking Platform or another organization alerted authorities to an apparent sale of a ship that would be leaving European Union waters for breaking in South Asia and nothing was done. It seems Denmark or Spain could have gone further in their investigations – in 2018, a court in the Netherlands fined the shipping company Sea Trade and two of its executives 750,000 euros or $92,422 at the time of the ruling, and banned the executives from working in the industry for one year for selling vessels that left the European Union for disposal in South Asian yards. Evidence in the case included email exchanges between Sea Trade executives and the sellers, which Dutch prosecutors seized. Freytag White, the Danish Environmental Protection Agency official, wrote that the date of decommissioning on which the Environmental Protection Agency based its determination that the waste shipment regulation did not apply is established through publicly available information in a Danish Maritime Authority register. But the act of decommissioning is not the same as the decommissioning decision, which Freitag White wrote is what is relevant in determining whether the regulation was violated. Somewhere, at some point, there likely existed on Maersk's servers emails concerning the sale of the Cecily, the Clara, the Thomas, and the Kleis, which would have established the timing. Documents indicating breaches of the law have been found on board other scrapped vessels, and companies can be subpoenaed for sale documents. Recent cases show the Dutch action could lead to an indictment in other countries. In August 2021, German prosecutors alleged that the sale of three vessels to an entity the sellers knew would have had them scrapped in Pakistan violated the ship recycling regulation, the waste and Regulation. And in March, a Norwegian appeals court confirmed the six-month prison sentence of a ship owner involved with selling a ship to a cash buyer and fined his company 2 million Norwegian kroner, or about $230,000. It comes down to knowledge and proactiveness and willingness in the amount of resources European Union states have for enforcement, Jensen says. Potential solutions are far off and indirect at best. Requiring countries that issue flags of convenience to better oversee the ships they register seems far off. The International Maritime Organization, which regulates ship registries, claims that it wants to ensure that all flag states maintain adequate control over the ships they've registered. But its delegates include representatives from industries with close ties to shipping and an interest in keeping freight costs down, such as oil companies, mining companies, and shipbuilders. Leaning on the levers of finance is one way to bring an end to unsafe shipbreaking. In 2018, the world's largest sovereign wealth fund, Norway's government pension fund Global, also known as the oil fund, decided to divest from four companies that sell their ships for dismantling in South Asia. The country's largest pension fund, KLP, soon followed suit. Withholding capital from shipping companies because of their recycling practices, some advocates believe, could lead them to change. Lenders and insurers could also require in their agreements with ship owners that they properly recycle their assets. Jensen says the organization is now advocating for a return scheme for vessels, similar to the refund that some jurisdictions offer for recycling glass bottles. All vessels trading in European Union waters would ship in throughout their operational life, and that money would be paid back to the last owner if the vessel is recycled in a proper facility, she says. The European Union recently put forth a proposed amendment to the Waste Shipment Regulation that would enable ships sailing under the flags of member countries to be recycled by shipbreakers outside the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, provided they appear on the European Union list of approved facilities. Industry critics contend that currently... Non-OECD shipbreakers are discouraged from applying for approval because the Waste Shipment Regulation would still forbid them from importing ships, though the Alang facility's applications would argue against this. The amendment would obviate the need for reflagging for the final voyage. European Union policymakers are expected to discuss the proposal in May. In November 2021, Maersk became a founding member of the First Movers Coalition, formed by the World Economic Forum to make purchasing commitments that create new demand for low-carbon technologies. It was the latest in a string of public statements by major industry players late last year to show their commitment to decarbonize shipping by 2050. We have high ambitions and we are fully committed to addressing the emissions in our operations, says Mikhail Gutmann, the head of APM Terminals, Maersk's port operations subsidiary, on October 18th. While the industry has been very public about efforts to limit its contribution to climate change, it continues to contribute to fouling the oceans and endangering the lives of people in developing countries where its ships are dismantled. The third quarter of 2021, during which at least the second conference of the year on decarbonizing shipping was held in Copenhagen, Denmark, saw seven deaths in Bangladesh shipbreaking yards. While the industry might eventually make progress on reducing its carbon footprint, as long as flags of convenience and last voyage flags prevail, it will have a convenient means of evading the legal guardrails in place to direct it towards ethical operations. Find more coastal news and stories from Hackeye Magazine on our website at www.hakkaiemagazine.com. All of our feature stories are part of the Hack Magazine Audio Edition podcast, which you can subscribe to through your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share it with your friends. And don't forget to like, comment, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.